0: July 1937, the world's most famous woman pilot disappears during her attempt to circumnavigate the globe. In 1988, the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, a small nonprofit known by its acronym, TIGER, began a science-based investigation of the Earhart disappearance. Decades of forensic research and a dozen South Pacific expeditions have now produced hard evidence from multiple disciplines to provide the long-sought answer to the riddle. In this series of conversations with Jones Sachs, Tiger Executive Director Rick Gillespie takes us step-by-step through the adventures, the setbacks, and the discoveries that uncover the evidence that has solved aviation history's greatest mystery.
1: Hi, I'm Joan Sachs. Like many of you, I've read newspaper and magazine articles, and I've watched television documentaries about Tiger's adventures and discoveries. As a member of Tiger, I've participated in research, and I know there is so much more to the story that has never been told. I've known Rick Gillespie and his wife, Tiger co-founder Pat Thrasher, for many years. So when Rick asked me to help him bring the -the behind-the-scenes story of Tiger's Earhart expeditions to the public, in a series of podcast episodes, I enthusiastically agreed. Over the years, there have been 12 tiger expeditions to the South Pacific, and we've organized the podcast into seasons. To follow the progress of the investigation, you'll wanna listen to the episodes and seasons in order. For newcomers, we make it easy to catch up with the story so far by publishing a compilation at the end of each season. Now let's get to the next episode. Hi, Rick. When last we left off, you were all set to depart on the biggest Earhart expedition yet. Yeah,
2: that's right. More people, more ships, more technology than ever before. It was May 18th, 2010, when our 16-person primary team flew to Apia, Samoa, where we met Naya, who had come over from Fiji. Right. And we headed off for Nicaragua. The second ship would follow several days later with eight more people, including two Kiribati officials this time, a customs officer as usual. And this time they also sent a representative of the Phoenix Islands Protected Area and the Kiribati Fisheries Division. Really? So by this time, because of the attention we had drawn to Nicomararo and the Phoenix Group of Islands and the realization of their pristine condition as coral reefs and you know, untouched area, the whole area had been declared um protected area.
1: Really? Yeah. Did, they, cons- did they talk with you about that?
2: Oh, yeah. You knew when no, that the, was happening? The, That's really was, cool. The, the way it came about was the first time we went out there with naya in 1997 the year of the big storm whatever. right right naya's owner uh, rob Beryl, and his partner cat Holloway, did some diving mm-hmm. the conditions weren't great but they did some diving they were just blown away by the pristine condition
1: oh and that was their normal business and that that, was, they were a dive boat right? yeah they're a
2: dive boat oh, they did wow. dives around fiji but this was so much better and oh. one of their other customers for these dive excursions, was the New England Aquarium in, in Boston. Uh. And so they contacted the people at New England Aquarium and said, boy, we have a place for you. <laughs> Much better than we're doing around Fiji. You gotta go to NICU. And so there was a, a New England Aquarium expedition out to NICU There ended up being several. Uh, really? Just oh, to dive? Just to dive out and collect information and the whole bit about the Wheel of Fortune where uh, a guy sees what he thinks was, looked like an airplane wheel oh. in the ah. Lagoon Passage. That happened on a, a New England Aquarium expedition. I remember
1: that. That's interesting. Hmm.
2: So, yeah, they, they got in touch with Caribous, and the whole thing ended up being this huge, at that time, the world's largest marine protected area, which means wow. you can't go in there and just fish in and do anything without right. all kinds of permission. And... I think by this time, the Phoenix Island Protected Area, PIPA, as we called it, Mm -hmm. was a World Heritage Site. Wow. So, you know, really protected area. So now we've got a representative of PIPA and a fisheries guy there to look it up. So NICU turned out to be a much bigger deal than it was uh, when we first went there. and. Yeah, you know, we're pretty proud of that, yes. <laughs> that we were the genesis of that whole thing. Wow! So there we are, you know, on our way to NICU uh, with our um, 2010 expedition. Total budget for that came in at $594,188.03. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it So was what's
1: that the proposed budget or was that your. <laughs> did you figure no, that afterwards? <laughs> that's an
2: after action tally. Oh my on gosh, what so it that's really costly. Yeah, us. so three cents. At, at the time, we just knew this was going to be really
1: expensive. <laughs> huh. so. But you so. were well funded for this. We were the, well the funded. Guy, yes, yeah. that's right, because the guy. Yeah,
2: we, we had. We had the Discovery Channel. Yes, and the... that uh, that paid five hundred thousand dollars for the rights to film it. Ah, right. So you know that's most of the budget right there. Right. So it was pretty. We're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, we arrived at Niku at daybreak on May twenty fourth, two thousand ten, uh-huh. and immediately noticed that more storms had hit the island. There was there was more damage and there was a lot more trash washed up really yeah, you know, plastic bottles flip-flops it's just really sad so the first thing we we always do is clear out the the trail from the landing channel that blasted through the reef where you go ashore right over to the lagoon side where we set up a base for the um, trips down the lagoon to the seventh side mm-hmm. And we always called that the, the Gallagher Highway. We we're going to do it. <laughs> and I, I should say a little bit about what, it, what it's like to move through that coconut jungle and clearing trails oh, and stuff. And I've, I mentioned before that it's hard to walk because the ground is covered with coconuts. It's like walking on bowling balls. <laughs> but the other thing is, the, the young coconut tree shoots that are coming up are covered with spider webs. Oh. And little tiny spiders. Hmm. And so to clear away the spider webs, we used to cut palm fronds and wave them in front of us as we're going through. We look like a religious procession <laughs> going through the jungle.
1: It's funny.
2: But you still get little spiders all over you. Mm. You can get used to anything you know they don't bite they don't bite they just yeah they would just dangle down from your hat brim and say hey (laughs) hi (laughs) Uh, it's a strange place Mm. okay then at high tide we brought a skiff through the passage and into the lagoon and set up our base of operations on a a section of beach there that we always called club fred (laughs) and you had a couple 55 gallon drums of fuel there to service the the skip that we're going to use to go down to the seven site Mm. while while we were doing that another team began the lagoon survey using this autonomous underwater vehicle this little robot torpedo thing and got got that whole process started got it programmed and running up and down the lagoon taking side scan sonar so that was a good start another thing that you have to do before you start running back and forth at the seven site is you have to mark the coral heads in the lagoon. Uh, See, there, there are places in the lagoon where columns, I guess you'd call them of coral grow up to just below the surface.
1: Oh, that would be a hazard. And
2: you can't see them coming.
1: Hmm.
2: We've had the experience of running into them with a skiff going like 20 knots down the lagoon. Mm, Yeah, yeah. it gets real exciting. It's a good way to put everybody in the skiff, piled into one pile in the nose of the boat. Yeah, it's just oh,
1: and remind us what the skiffs look like. They they were soft side.
2: Yeah, they're inflatable sides, but a rigid uh, aluminum hull. Okay. It's a rigid inflatable. They're often so you know when you hit. (laughs) Yeah. You have to go out and flag the coral heads, go mm-hmm. up them slowly, and, and put a little weight down with a, a float on it that you can see coming. And we, the guy we put in charge of that was John Klaus. It was his job to supply the little floats we were going to use. We used dive weights for the weights. Yeah. But he came, he, he bought the cheapest floats he could find, which turned out to be kitty pool toys. Uh, many of which were strawberry shortcake.
1: Oh, that's too funny! And they are
2: nice, and brightly colored. Yes. They worked well, but it earned John the Pink name of star- strawberry shortcake. Oh, i John became that. strawberry shortcake for that <laughs> trip. He was, he was, of course, a good sport about it. <laughs> so we got that done. Another team began looking for a fire feature of uh, what would once been a cooking fire in the abandoned village. Because we wanted to compare whatever you find in a standard Gilbertese House campfire seat, right. or a cooking fire right. with what we are finding out at the Seven Site. Is uh, this something typical of the village or is this something different? Interesting. Well, to do that, we've got to find a feature in the village. So hmm. they started looking for that. And that wasn't easy. Um, as it turned out, there had been so much damage to the village from overwatch and stuff. We, we oh. never did. We never did find yeah, one. I can
1: imagine that.
2: But uh, we we spent some time looking for one. But hmm. you know. I also visited the the spot up near the landing channel where we had set out the taphonomy experiment with the pig carcass. Right. And everything. Yeah. Because we wanted to see what that all looked like later. Because when, when we left it, there were still some bones there that hadn't oh. been carried off. Did the bones get carried off? Were there still bones there? Well, there were still bones present. Huh. Uh, they had been washed inland by one of the storms, but we could find them, little, little bones. Right. Very How far up.
1: were they actually from the seven site?
2: Oh, this is the other end of the island. So it was going to be no, getting is, a whole other a whole different weather uh, um, pattern. But what we noticed is that these pig bones that we knew were three years old. Yeah. Because we'd been there in 2007.
1: It's 2010. Right
2: they looked like they'd been there for a lot longer than that they were much more weathered than we expected them to look interesting and it got us thinking okay so back in 1940 gallagher finds these bones and he says yeah these are bones and because there's a part of a woman's shoe here this might be amelia Earhart." but that was three years ago and these bones look a lot older than that oh well sure they did huh yeah now we know that hmm same. Same with the first doctor that looked at the bones, who said, "Oh, these are the bones of a Polynesian man that's been there for twenty years." Ah, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so that was that was all very useful information. Hmm. So okay, the next day we began clearing operations at the seventh site and. In the three years since we've been there, the scabola had grown back up seven feet tall. I mean, it, really? That's just what happens on that island. It, wow. It just jumps right back up. And you, you've you got to get the area cleared. The vegetation's got to be carried away mm. before you can do the archaeological excavation. And so we carried it out to the beach and stacked uh. it out on the beach where it would be out of the way. Sure. But that meant you have to have trails cut from the site out to the beach where you can carry this stuff out there. So mm. that's, that's more scavola that has to be cut. And you're doing this in 110 degree heat. Oh, and about
1: how far was that to get from the southern oh, site to the
2: about, beach? Let's see, from the site out to the ocean, beach is about 120 meters. Uh, it's, wow. it's, a, it's a hike, especially yeah. through dense scavola that mm. so had to be hacked away this time we had loppers with us you know these pneumatic things but they're slow and we found out the chainsaws are faster of course much more dangerous yes and chainsaws can cause the kind of injury we're least likely to be able to handle something that involves massive blood loss yes Yes. chainsaws and sharks so the the things that will give you the kind of injury that we're not going to be able to do anything fast enough to save somebody. Oh, gosh. They're going to bleed out. So we're real careful.
0: with yeah. the sharks
2: and with the chainsaws. <laughs> but we had two team members who were big, strong, young uh-huh. guys. And
1: had they used chainsaws before?
2: And they, they both knew how to use a yes.
1: chainsaw. Yes, okay, well that's good.
2: And so they took on the scabola clearing job but they'd only use one chainsaw at a time. Uh, They weren't in there doing dueling chainsaws. Uh, They're (laughs) they're being careful. Meanwhile, our Seabotics contractor began his ROV, Remote Operated Vehicle, survey of the the western Mm -hmm. reef slope on the ocean. He had two flat-screen monitors, so they had real-time observation of what the ROV was seeing underwater. So you just send this thing down. It's got this long fiber-optic umbilical cable on it and you're seeing what it's seeing, and you're controlling the thing through the cable. But they had brought two cables. One is a 150 meter cable, and another 300 meter cable. Hmm. But we discovered that the 300 meter fiber optic cable had been damaged in transit. Oh no. They're, They're quite delicate. Oh gosh. We had to go with the second, shorter cable, but we could also send word back they is hey yeah we need a new longer cable to be sent out with a second ship when oh. it comes out. So they it's an advantage to having the second boat come. Yeah. Yes, yeah, really. Some backup. That was bad news and good news. You know, we, <laughs> we got a problem, but we're going to be able to fix it. But they got started with the with the 150 meter cable, and uh, looking at what they could. Hmm. The next day, this will be our third day on the island. We actually finished clearing the Seventh Side. Wow. We accomplished in two days, what had taken a week in 2007. Now Why? I, I will say that the scabola being younger was easier to cut. It was softer. Huh? It was big, but it was softer than old hardened scabola. Yeah, that's interesting. But. It was also because all of our focus in 2010 was on the 7th site, where in 2007 we were also doing work in the old village. Uh, So our team was split up. Now everybody's busting butt down at the 7th site. Hmm. And so we we really went to town and and got that opened up in two days. Wow. Meanwhile, the ROV is still working. They're they're, uh, looking at the Norwich City wreck, Hmm. which was at least the parts of it that are at a... Depth that. And you're
1: within your 150 meters. Yeah, within
2: <laughs> for, the 150 yeah. meters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Darn. The way the reef slope drops off, there's a, about hundred and uh, 130 feet out from the edge of the reef. It's about a 45 degree slope. It's kind of mild. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it drops off abruptly down to a ledge at a depth of like 50 meters. Wow. After a little bit, it drops again, and we didn't know how deep. It just, whoo, out of sight. Uh, uh, so it's, it's almost like a cliff out there. Wow. So it says, well, if we're looking for airplane wreckage, uh, if it didn't get hung up on one of these ledges- Right, um, are you out of luck? We're gonna or? have, it's, it's deeper than we're gonna be able to deal with. Wow. But we didn't have a longer cable yet anyway, so the best we could do was go to 150. Meters. About this time, so we're the been at the island um, three days. We'd been noticing for a little while at dinner that our salads were looking kind of wilted. Really? Yeah. Just not mm, like Naya. I
0: mean, the no, I thought you'd
1: always said that it really was good. Really
2: good, and and every dinner would start with a salad you know, and on tomatoes and lettuce, and lettuce, <laughs> lettuce is really looking wilted. Oh. Uh, well, okay. And then I get called up to the bridge, by the Fijian captain. Oh,
1: one I, of them. I
2: I knew him. He'd he'd been on the crew. Another, and I so I go up to the bridge. I say, What's up, Mo? He says, uh, "Well, um, our walk-in cooler isn't working." Oh no. So that's why the lettuce is looking kind of sad. Oh, says, since yeah. when? I said, Well, that's what I said. So, <laughs> so when did this fail? He said, yeah, about when we left Samoa. Oh, geez. Oh, that was like a week ago. Oh. I mean, why haven't you done something about that? Well, he says, I didn't know what to do. I don't know how to, how to fix a cooler. Oh, and I gosh. said, I know. I'll ask Rick," I said. "Oh, I am not a refrigeration repairman, but you have a satellite phone, don't you? Yeah. That means you can get in touch with somebody who does know how to fix refrigerators.
1: But as you said before, this was his first. Oh, this is is,
2: this was his first time as captain. As captain. And I said, you, you oh, got to think of these things. You know, you can give, <laughs> you've got communication. That you, wasn't
1: part of the test. You <laughs> so apparently
2: not. So he, they get on the phone, and within, I think, two days, we had the thing fixed. Oh, they they got some good instructions, and it didn't need new parts, right? They got it fixed, but we're still out of. Vegetables. Oh right, no yeah, food. Well, we've oh, got another boat coming. <laughs> exactly. we send word down. Hey, you know, <laughs> load up with uh, fresh veggies because uh, we're gonna be without them until you get here. Oh gosh! So okay, so another, another, another another bad advantage. news, good news. Yeah. You know? <laughs> okay, so our our fourth day was our first day of actual digging, excavating at the at the seventh site, and mm. the first job there was to lay out what we were going to do. So we laid out seven lanes, two meters wide, with brightly colored string. Ah. And the procedure is that, of course, this has all been cleared off now. So the first thing you do is run the lanes with a metal detector. Mm-hmm. To, and you flag any hits you get ah. with a, uh, a non-metallic thing. What we what always used was uh, tongue depressors. Wooden tongue depressors oh, painted orange so that you'd see them. <laughs> So you get a hit with a metal detector, you mark it with a tongue depressor. (laughs) And then you you go back and dig those hits Uh very carefully and recover whatever's there. And it's usually a a rifle shell, you know, (laughs) brass from one of the Coast Guard guys. But not always. Mm -hmm. You recover what's there, and then you're workers get on their hands and knees with trowels and dustpans and start removing the first 10 centimeters oh. of ground. And you you examine it carefully as you pull it into your dustpan, and then you put that in a screen, and you and you shake it down.
1: Back and over where you had just yeah, yeah, done? You, yeah,
2: you set up a place where the the oh, screen okay. is set up, so you end up with a pile under the screen of stuff that's been screened. Mm-hmm. And doing that, you can find incredibly tiny things. Oh, like what?
1: What did you find? Oh,
2: mostly tiny pieces of fish vertebra and and bird bones. But we're also finding uh, pieces of charcoal, evidence of of fires. Mm -hmm. And the bird bones and fish bones are burned. Oh. So this wasn't a fish that somehow crawled out of the ocean and died. No, (laughs) this was (laughs) a fish that somebody had brought there and cooked. Huh. And uh, and same with the birds. Wow. So that was very, very interesting and, and useful information. But we'd also find little things. Well, okay, we found the remains of a pencil. Really? Now, the, the wood was long gone, but what we found was the little metal band goes around the eraser. Uh huh. There was a little bit of wood around the inside edge of that band. Oh. And then we found a stick of graphite, the really the middle part of of a yeah. pencil. We got a pencil. There's not much left of it, but that's what it is, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. So that's definitely the...
1: not a a natural
2: object. Yeah. Now whose pencil is it? Can yeah. mm. you tell me? You know, it's not the kind of thing you can even date because right. wooden pencils haven't changed that much.
1: No, and the information was all on the wood, which is gone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Gosh, I guess. You know, if you had enough wood, you could carbon date the wood, tell you when the tree, the the wood was from. Oh, right.
1: Or if it said Dixon, you could probably, Dixon number two, you could (laughs) probably date that too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Uh, uh, no luck.
2: If if you had more, but we didn't. And the ROV continued to search where it could, Hmm. but they weren't finding anything. They were just lumps of coral. And they're taking video of everything they do, and we're keeping the video. We collected some of those pig bones right. from the Tefanami experiment for comparison to the coral rubble at the 7th site. And it was really interesting because you take these little pieces of, of pig bone mm-hmm. and you go to the 7th site, and if you drop them on the ground, they disappear because... They look really? exactly like the coral rubble. The only difference is they're very light, whereas the coral rubble is heavy. Right. But in, in physical appearance, psh, wow, you know, it's it's like a magic trick. Uh-huh. And you, that tells you something about, well, it would have been very possible for Gallagher to have missed bones. Sure. He thought he collected everything. One of the other things we were starting to notice about seven Site this time is suddenly there are a lot more centipedes than there used to be. Uh, and the centipedes huh. are ugly. I mean, they're they're as big around as your finger.
1: Oh and, no! Oh, really?
2: And and fast and aggressive. <laughs> They'll climb up, and if they just crawl across bare skin, they leave a, a caustic slime oh. that'll cause a blister. I mean, you're kidding? They, these really? things are bad news. So you Did, know, we didn't need that. No. Oh, the other thing about it, if. Um, you whip out your knife, and you cut one in two, now you got two of them coming for you.
1: Oh, no. Really? <laughs> yeah.
2: I mean, it, oh. it used to be that you take a break during the day, and you lay out a tarp, and you lay down and take a nap.
1: Not anymore. Not anymore. anymore. <laughs> Jeez. That's
2: Struggle. interesting,
1: change in the yeah. wildlife.
2: So it happened that on that same day, there was a very low tide. So our cameraman, Mark Smith, and I, and Gary Quig one of our archaeologists, went out to investigate the place on the reef where Nessie, our thing that showed up in the 1937 photograph, showed up on the reef. We didn't think there'd still be anything there, but we thought, you know, we had this theory that this might be landing gear wreckage. Mm -hmm. That's what it kind of looked like that got stuck in a crack in the reef. So is there a crack there? Is there something in that location? Because we had a good GPS location for where this thing was. Uh. And we, we get out there with our GPS. And we're, and it's a really low tide. There is some surf running. And uh, Gary, <laughs> Gary and I are out there and Mark's filming us. So I've, I've got the, the GPS. And I'm saying, okay, we're just about there. I need you to go out as far as you can into the surf as long as it feels safe. Because, man, that surf comes in and it's hard to stay on your feet. Oh,
1: you know? uh-huh.
2: And uh, he goes out a little ways and he says, yeah, I, I can see uh, out here just a little further. It gets darker in this area. There, there might be like a, cre- a crevice or a hole out here. I said, okay, now I need you to go out further than where it feels safe. Oh, no. <laughs> he says, thanks a lot. <laughs> and he goes out there and he's, he's looking. And a big wave comes in, and and just is it crest before it breaks? I can see through the wave. There's a great big shark. Oh no! And it's like three feet behind Gary. Oh jeez! And I said, "Don't look now, Gary, but you got a shark behind you." He says, "Yeah, I know. I was looking at him. Oh. Do you have what you need yet?" I said, yeah, so you can come back now. You're good. Oh <laughs> so,
1: gosh! <laughs> yeah, um,
2: hmm. you know whatever it takes, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Mm -hmm. now uh, excavation continued at the Seventh Site and uh, we had to build a a new trail out to the beach to help carry more stuff out there, but we also needed a control. We we knew what we were finding at the Seventh Site and we're finding little pieces of this and that. uh, Places where people are made a fire and eaten bird and turtle. And how unusual is this? Hmm. If we go a little ways away from this, do we get a very different picture?
1: Oh, good point. You need yeah. a control.
2: Yeah. And so we did that and we did the control. And yeah, this is, this is very unusual. Hmm. And with that, we're trying to establish the boundaries of this seventh site. There was a apparently a castaway campsite here, but how big was it? We need right. to define its edges.
1: How long do you think the um, areas of your search were? I know you said they were two meters wide, but how, oh, how
0: long uh, was it? The...
2: the entire area we cleared mm-hmm. and ultimately excavated, let me think, uh, 70 meters by probably 50 meters. Oh, wow. At least, wow. no, it's, yeah. it's a big area. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Then th- the wind kicked up up at sea, out at sea which made it very difficult for Naya to hold her station for the ROV because you you, you got to have a stable platform uh. for the ROV to work from. So they they had to stop doing the ROV work until the weather calmed down a little hmm. bit. We tried to investigate some of the targets in the lagoon that were showing up from the uh, AUV sonar search. Mm-hmm. Same problem with the wind. It, it stirred the lagoon up enough that the silt on the bottom was stirred up and visibility was zip. Oh, wow. You, you couldn't see anything, so wow. had to pause in that. By the sixth day, we had the new trail to the beach finished and the tests done and had determined that the seventh site really was unusual to it. Doing that clearing, just exhausting. Oh, and so hot. Yeah, and people are starting to get really tired. Digging at the Seventh Site continued. We're still finding Coast Guard brass, and fall, small fish, and bird bones. The, the wind did calm down, and so the ROV could continue searching down to 150 meters. They weren't finding any man-made objects. But uh, they were they they,
1: getting clear pictures? Yeah, were you pretty sure? There's there were
2: yeah, I mean they're they're getting good high definition video, Hmm. and there's there's just lumps and lumps of coral. But you know, when the new cable uh, cable arrives, we're going to be able to get down a lot deeper. You know, 300 meters—that's almost a thousand feet.
1: Yeah, Mm yeah. The
2: next day, so this is our seventh day. We've now been at the island a full week. We're we're seeing evidence of small fires all around this wren tree. Now Gallagher had said the body of the castaway had been found lying under a wren tree. And there's only one wren tree on the site. And we if this wasn't the original wren tree, it might be a descendant of that original wren tree. Hmm. We weren't could be sure of that. But we did find that there's evidence of small fires that suggests like a, a ring around there so really we, we speculate well is somebody building like a ring of fire to discourage the crabs from coming in at, at night hmm yeah, you, you speculate about stuff like that uh, n- nothing exciting has been found so far but morale is still good, good. Yeah, good.
1: and you're what are you doing about eating at this point eating no vegetables oh still? yeah
2: you're, you're eating what's available it, so i guess it, yeah yeah it, huh. uh we weren't out of food we were just out of fresh out of vegetables, fresh vegetables. Yeah. yeah there's always coconut yes <laughs> <laughs> did Picasso. anybody do
1: that Was, oh yeah you, yeah did they, that a lot? They had coconut oh and oh the Fijians probably could whack it apart with their knives could they were they oh it's
2: it's really something to watch a Fijian with a a green coconut. First of all, they know which coconuts to pick up. Right. And they'll heft a coconut in their hand, Mm -hmm. left hand, I assume, right-handed, and take a machete and just whack, 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 knock off the the top of the husk Uh and then use the point to carve out a hole in the top of the husk and you can drink the milk ah. and uh, it's it's nice it's it's oh, really, so that's really good and uh, then of course you can split off the rest of the husk and open the nut and, and eat, eat the meat, meat yeah that's what. although hmm. the meat from a coconut that you can get nice milk from is going to be kind of squishy ah. if, if you want to eat coconut meat you get an older nut where you're not going to ah. get the the milk and they
1: could figure all that out. Oh, they, they yeah yeah stuff.
2: Huh. But I've, I've never seen any of our people, they could pick up a coconut <laughs> and whack, 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 whack with a machine. Uh, on the, on, this, on the, that seventh day, our cameraman Mark and Andrew decided to stay overnight on the island so that Mark could get some video. He already went sunset and sunrise shots. Huh. So they stayed ashore.
1: Hmm, how did that go? oh
2: you know, they it went all right. It's always a struggle, keeping the crabs at at bay yeah, and but they they made out all right. <laughs> you know, we don't do would they say it. that
1: <laughs> and,
2: yeah it went okay yeah. you know? <laughs> hmm. the the next day we uh we stood down because people were pretty tired. We said, okay, everybody, take a break. you know you can." You can sleep, just hang out on the ship if you want to do whatever you want to. So they did what they always do when we do something like that. They all went ashore <laughs>
1: and did so, but stuff they...
2: that was just as strenuous as the Aww. stuff they've been doing,
1: but without an agenda. But without an
2: agenda, yeah. they just someone wanted to go down and take a look at the Coast Guard loran Station. What was oh, left of right. it, which is brutal. Yeah, you know, getting through the scabola and looking at that stuff. It's just. <laughs> junk and trash down there mm. some people wanted to go out to the shipwreck and poke around on the north city wreck that's okay uh, but they did whatever they wanted to we did see that the memorial plaque that we had installed on the Norwich city engine back in 2007 had come off really and we thought we had that thing on there really really well wow what do you think happened well just the Forces of the ocean out there—it's so incredibly wow. violent and was the powerful. water up that, that high?
1: Hmm? The water was actually up that
2: high? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at, at high tide with the surf running, it, it'll yeah. yeah.
1: That's a lot. Of- that
2: that plaque is bronze, weighed about thirty pounds, and we really had it nailed on, or, well glued on with really good cement. Hmm. And but we found it. It was washed up in the other shipwreck debris.
1: Oh, wow. Good.
2: Yeah. So we ended up... It doesn't make any sense to put it back because it's no, just going to go again. Sure. So we ended up some, sending it to a small museum in uh, the south of Wales. Really? It, North City was registered out of Biddeford Bedif- in, in Wales. huh And that's all mining country down in the the south of wales and it had originally been a collier carrying coal but then it was converted to uh uh, just a a freighter and to oil fired uh but all the crew were from south wales oh oh so so that
1: was a good place for yeah
2: and so it's you know the end and in that area, the the loss of the Norwich City was a, a big deal. Oh, I bet. And and I was in touch with the great grandniece of the captain. Oh, really? Yeah, Janet Powell. Um, and she, she had information about the shipwreck that we didn't have. Wow. And and she shared it with us. And we had actually we uh, salvaged a, a, a porthole, a, a bronze. Porthole from the ship that still had some glass in it. Oh, wow. And we ended up sending that to her. And oh, that's the a... family still has it. Wow. You're technically not supposed to do stuff like that. But we got permission from the Carabas people to uh. do that. So, you know, hmm. it's a special family thing for them. I, I, I want to describe what our team was like working at the Seventh Site because it's it was kind of a special thing to, to watch them. You know, you got these people down on their hands and knees, and they've come halfway around the world to do this, and they're not finding anything to speak of, and and yet they're still working along. Uh, And the the atmosphere at the site while they're working is very serious. There's very little chatter. Really? Yeah. (laughs) As a as a group, this is this is a fun-loving group. I mean, they, you know, as you know, they make up songs. Yeah. and, And. they delight in making me the butt of any joke they can think of, <laughs> but boy, when they're working, they're just down there working, and there's this steady uh, clink, 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 clink of the trowels against, and and all I like it. always reminded me of the opening scene of Spartacus, where you know he's in the I think it's the copper mines or something, say, yeah. and, and there's that same sound of it clinking it picks against. It. But, Every now and then, somebody would sit back and call for the archaeologist to come over and look at something. Otherwise, you just stick to your assigned lane. Oh, and you just stretch occasionally, but with your eyes still on the ground. It, it, <laughs> so the dedication of these people was just heartwarming. Uh, <laughs> it's the only, only way I can Well, was it.
1: it still fun? Like after the oh. after they finished their work?
2: Oh yeah, were there still songs yeah, and yeah, huh. and especially when every once in a while you find something. It was it was this day, it was June 1st. And this would be our ninth day on the island. And I was metal detecting on the site and I got a hit, you know, the beep, uh, probably another Coast Guard yeah. shovel. <laughs> and so I marked it with the tongue depressor. And then I came back with a trowel and I was gonna clear it away. It's deeper than usual. Huh, this is unusual. And then I saw a little loop of something coming up. Oh. And I said, I know exactly what you are. <laughs> You're the rest of that pocket knife. Wow. Because, you recall, we found one small piece yeah. from which we were able to identify the what this was from. Right. And I had examples of the intact knife. I knew that little pocket knife uh, a inside out. Oh, oh, so, and I recognized this. The little loop on yeah, the end of might to a lanyard carabiner, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't even want to breathe on it because of this DNA thing you yes, were thinking about. So, so the, get Megan over here with the special bags and the <laughs> stuff. And we'll collect this thing. Uh... The, the really funny thing I got to tell this story. So, our cameraman Mark. Mm-hmm was always trying to get a reaction shot from one of the team members, because he knows we never rediscover something for the camera. Right. If if you miss it, you've missed it. And he's always hoping to be right there when somebody found something really neat and reacted to it. Uh Well, there's two problems with that. It doesn't happen very often. (laughs) And the other thing is with our people, the better something looks the less you react to it because nobody wants to look foolish and say oh my god i just found Amelia Earhart's hearts whatever you know they're gonna say hmm okay you know and and maybe it's an aviation thing where you take pride in not getting excited if something really exciting is happening so i i've uncovered the first part of this knife Mm -hmm. And it's obvious what it is. And I hollered to Mark. I said, hey, Mark, you might want to take a look at this. Mark comes over with a camera on his shoulder, leans over, and says, holy
1: shit! And
2: I just cracked up. I said, well, Mark, there's a reaction shot you've never been able to get. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think he's ever forgiven me for that. So... (laughs) So we collected the thing. What was really interesting about the rest of the knife is that it was all there except for the blades. The blades. Except were for
1: all the blades. There they were, were only gone? two. Yeah. Uh, it's a jackknife
2: were... with two blades, both hinged at the same end. But the knife was had been beaten apart with a blunt object. It, it oh. was. It's very apparent that somebody had busted this knife apart in order to get the blades out. Well, why would you do that? Well, if you're a castaway and you need a point for your spear to catch fish with or
1: something. Oh, that's um, interesting. The knife's
2: not going to do you any good. You need the blades from the knife. Hmm. So that's the theory anyway. Hmm. But for whatever reason, that's what we have. And that's what we still have. We've we've got that knife, except I still don't know where those blades are.
1: You've got to find some fish bones with it stuck in it. Yeah, hmm. maybe. Hmm. Uh, interesting.
2: We also found a few pieces of a little jar that was not like a, a bottle that you have medicine in or anything like that. It was, uh, we know now that it's a, a type of jar called an ointment pot. It, it's a oh. decorative little jar, very feminine looking. Hmm. And we didn't know anything more about it at the time, but we didn't have all of it to begin. We were finding a piece here and a piece there, but these obviously fit together. And hmm, hmm. What color
1: this, was it? Hmm? What color was the glass? It was glass? Oh, huh. It
2: was clear glass. Mm-hmm. So the next day, um, more pieces of the ointment pot show up.
1: Oh, that's fun.
2: And, okay, this is good. We're finding more of this, and maybe we'll be able to figure out what it is, if we, if, if we can find enough of it. Mm. We're also finding pieces of what appeared to be vacuum tubes uh, from the Coast Guard-Loran station. Uh, the radio vacuum tubes that they apparently had brought up to use as target practice. All so did apart.
1: they carry, I guess, they carried extra vacuum tubes with them on the... Oh, sure. To, so that was a yeah, like back I mean, then, that was a normal replacement yeah, item.
2: Yeah, the, the burp tubes, I guess, would burn out. And, yeah, yeah. And, huh. You know, they, they also brought up... Um, oh, I remember the dishes. From the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, ...the mess hall
0: yeah.
2: and blew that apart. So, okay, now it's the 11th day, June 3rd. Uh, nothing much happened, June 3rd. We found some more fire features, little campfires, more mm-hmm. fish and turtle bones burned. It was starting to look like... Somebody had been here for some time.
1: Yeah, uh, wow. Doing
2: this. The uh, AUV survey of the lagoon, the side-scan sonar, mm-hmm. it was about 80% finished. They are working along on that. Hmm. We found an- another, really, the-, the last piece of that ointment pot was found the next day, June 4th. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is that it was found 30 meters away from where the rest of the pot really? was. The other pieces of the pot were pretty much close together, within a meter or so of each other. Uh-huh. But this one was like way the hell I got the other side amongst a bunch of turtle bones. Really? And the thing about the the piece, and we know it was part of the pot because it fit together just like a 3D jigsaw puzzle. Yeah, huh. We could reassemble this pot. Wow. But this particular piece was shaped in such a way that you could grab it with your index finger and thumb and use a curved edge that was sharp. As it, a tool?
0: Yeah, it was wow. shaped
2: in a way that you, you could use it as a cutting tool. Huh. And these turtle bones had marks on them that looked like they'd been cut and scraped. So it looks like somebody is, is carving meat off a, a turtle bone. Wow. To, so, huh. okay, it, lots of stuff that we're finding here are telling us that this is a castaway doing what they can to survive yeah. They're making spears with pocket knife blades and and using a broken jar a piece of a broken jar to cut meat off a turtle uh, bone looking pretty pretty interesting the kite aerial photography team oh, been right. working on this time and of course their work depends on having the right wind conditions and so forth right. And sometimes it was too windy and sometimes it wasn't windy enough but the, it we had good enough conditions on enough days that we we're getting some really good kite aerial photos that must direct, have been fun direct overhead of the seven site and then down the beaches and around so that we yeah. later be able to make some really great maps hmm. of, of uh, what the site looked like and and our our lanes are actually showing up yeah they're marked out really? the spring colored strings so you can see them so that we can see them in the photos.
1: Hmm. So
2: this is a great way to, to log in where the, where the finds are where things are. It's good archaeology <laughs> yeah, It really is uh, We finished up the lagoon with the AUV. Mm-hmm. There were lots and lots of sonar hits out in the lagoon but they're so difficult to investigate because of the silt. As soon as you get oh, in there and disturb anything, boom! You see like nothing. no visibility, and we know there are the remains of fifty-five gallon drums that were put out there to to mark uh, the lagoon. Remember, they used to land flying boats in the lagoon during the war. Oh, right. You think we had a problem with our skiff hitting a coral <laughs> head? You don't want to hit a coral head with a PBY. No. So they were marking. The acceptable landing area too. So you got all these old fifty-five gallon drums out in the lagoon. Mm-hmm. So there's an awful lot of noise in that lagoon that's going to make it very difficult to figure out if there's also any old airplane wreckage <laughs> out right. there. The worst part was all of that record of the the uh, sonar search of the lagoon was held on on tape. By the sabotics contractor oh yeah it, 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 he, we didn't have possession of it at the end of the expedition he had it hmm. and he was that was supposed to come to us yeah he lost it what? He, uh, he doesn't that was know his it,
1: job like how did that happen?
2: I don't know how it happened he ended up leaving the company and didn't know where that stuff had ended up oh that's crazy and so we don't have it Oh my gosh.
1: Wow. That Hmm. was a major frustration. I can't remember. Did you pay them?
2: We pay. oh yeah. I
1: mean that, so that, what?
2: Well, okay, so we paid them for the ROV search.
1: Yes, but they sent a volunteer to run the, how did that work? I forget. They They sent a young employee.
2: what What we hired was the instrument, the the vehicle itself, right. plus an operator to operate it.
1: And right. then we
2: had two of our people assist him okay. in operating it. And so that was what we paid for, the ROV search. The AUV thing was kind of a surprise extra. He, We didn't actually have to pay for that. Uh, he borrowed that thing from a friend of his oh. and used it. And so, okay, so we never got the results of it because of a screw-up, but then we didn't pay for it. Yes, anyway, it so darn it's just, you know, stuff happens. That's
1: unfortunate.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. So here we are about 10 days into the expedition and our second boat is arriving tomorrow.
1: Oh, right. And hmm. your food we and food your 300-meter cable and yes. our second
2: cameraman and oh. so forth. And next time we'll talk about (laughs) that, what happened then.
1: Okay, interesting. We'll look forward to that. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Rick.
0: Thanks for listening. The Earhart Expeditions is a serial history of Tiger's 12 expeditions to the South Pacific. We release a new episode each Tuesday. You can receive special bonus episodes and get access to Tiger's extensive video library by becoming a premium subscriber. Just go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and search on Tiger, T-I-G-H-A-R. You can also be a part of the adventure and participate in research. Go to Tiger.org and click on Join Tiger. See you next Tuesday.